Hi, I'm Ellie Roark. I'm Wilson Gall. And you're listening to the Fledgling Theories Podcast, where every month we bring you a recent bird study and we kind of break it down and talk about the hot, hot issues in it. So today we're talking about seed dispersing birds and their effect on how seeds actually germinate and whether you can analyze this or how you can analyze this at a community scale. Uh, you can find the exact article that we'll be talking about on our website, fledglingtheories.podbean.com. And as always, you can join in the conversation by following us on Twitter, at Fledgecast. So this study is about species dependence on each other, or lack thereof. Basically, relationships between species. So some relationships between species are beneficial, like we might all be familiar with uh, plant-pollinator relationships are talked about a lot. So the plant benefits because pollinators fertilize plants, basically. And um, pollinators benefit because they need the pollen. Um, there are also species relationships that are harmful. We had a recent episode where we talked about ticks and mites and other parasites that affect nesting for uh, salt marsh sparrows. And then there's kind of everything, relationships that run the gamut in between those two extremes. So one species benefits and the other is totally neutral, or there's kind of a slight harm to one species, but it's not horrifically negative, or maybe the relationship is totally benign for both species, but they interact with each other. So pollination is one that we hear a lot about. We're, we're very familiar with that interaction. But um, relationships and mutualisms can be between plants and other plants, between plants and fungi. There are, there are frequently fungi that grow on the roots of plants, but a lot of these relationships are between plants and animals. Uh, pollination through animals or insects is one of those. Another one that is fairly common for those flowering plants through animals is seed dispersal. So once they get pollinated and they've made a good seed, the next thing is that that seed needs to get somewhere to grow. And frequently, that seed gets transported by an animal. Yeah, so animals that eat fruit are important mutualists with many plant species in the same way that pollinators are important mutualists with many plant species. And, for, and in both of these cases, the, the issue here is that plants are stationary. You know, they can't go find a new mate, and if they're growing in bad conditions, they can't move to new conditions. So right. they depend on animals that can move around to bring the pollen from a mate to them, Yeah, and then to move that seed out to some new area where it can grow. Right, and if they're providing food to the animal, then it's a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah, in fact, they incentivize the animals by giving them some food to, to convince them to do this service, basically. Yeah, exactly. But for a lot of plant species, it's not just about um, getting the seed somewhere else through the animal. It's also that the process of digestion by frugivores, um, animals that eat fruits, and in this particular study's case, bird species that eat fruits, um, that the transformation that happens in the gut, in the digestive process, is potentially important for seed germination. Yeah, sometimes it might be as important as moving the seed to a new place. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like a threefold process. So it's about moving the seed to a new place. It's about getting the seed out of the fruit um, kind of removing the pulp from around the seed to isolate the seed. And then also whatever process might be happening in the gut to kind of chemically alter the seeds such that it's ready for germination by the time it gets pooped out and is on the ground. 
So this gut passage part of seed dispersal is actually something that's studied a fair bit. You might not know it if you're not like following seed dispersal literature, but, <laughs> but actually like this isn't anything new. People have been working on this a lot. And so this study um, uses an approach to sort of try to tease apart the benefits from gut passage that are due to removing that fruit, like you were saying, removing the pulp, yeah. versus those other chemical or physical processes that happen in the gut, sort of banging up the, the seed or scratching the surface or some chemical that's like eating into the surface. Yeah. So basically the way they did this study is they had, this was sort of a controlled study and they had three different things. They took fruits and just planted the whole fruit the, with the seed inside it, just put it in the dirt and you know, see if that germinates. They had some fruits that they fed to birds. They captured wild birds and they had them in a cage for a little while. They fed them the fruit. And then when the bird pooped out the seeds, they collected that bird poop and planted it. See how well those seeds germinate. And then the third treatment is they, the researchers themselves sort of peeled off the pulp layer and got rid of that until it was just the seed. And then they planted that seed. So that is the sort of gets at the effect of removing the pulp but you don't get the effect of whatever chemical stuff is happening in the bird's gut. So that's trying to isolate how important that actual gut mechanic part might be to the whole process. Yeah, versus just the pulp removal. Right, if the birds just kind of remove the pulp and then drop the seed, is that different from actually having it go through their digestive tract? Yeah. Versus, you know, if there were no birds eating the seed, the fruit ripens until it falls off the plant and lands on the ground, and then it's you know, similar to researchers having taken the ripe fruit and planted it. Yeah. And based on other studies, there's good reason to believe that for many of these plants that get dispersed by animals that eat the fruit, that actually the seeds will germinate better after they've gone through an animal's gut than if they just, you know, sort of fall on the ground with just the fruit. That's a pretty common finding I yeah. think, in these studies. So for this study, they looked at five bird species that eat fruit and 20 plant species and this was happening on islands kind of off the coast of japan way out in the middle of the pacific the mariana islands mariana islands thank you um and basically they tested every possible combination of these five bird species and the the plants so um with the exception of birds who couldn't fit the seeds from a particular plant in their mouth. <laughs> they left those, those pairs out. That's right. If the seed is bigger than the bird, we won't, we won't try that one. Right. But other than that, they tested all, basically all possible combinations of these five birds and 20 plants. And this is a cool way to look at what the effect of the birds on the particular plants are and examine the effect of individuals. It's also gets very difficult very quickly if you have a big community of species. If you want to look at these interactions on a community scale, like this study is doing, once you get more than five bird species and more than 20 plant species, you start to get a ton of pairs that you have to deal with, and that's a very difficult experiment to manage. Yeah, this is why ecologists love islands. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be the reason they chose the stasis, because right. islands tend to have fewer species, and the systems are small, and it's just, these are tractable communities. Right. They're small communities, they're limited in space, they're limited in number of species. And so you can do a study on an entire community, and that's practical to do. You know, on, on continental settings, you just couldn't even hope to do that practically. Right. So there's a lot of sort of 
fundamental ecology research that happens on islands for that reason. They're small systems, but, but it's not like an artificially small system. You know, you haven't manipulated it to throw, to, to throw out species or sort of built yourself a little microcosm. These are functional, existing, natural communities. They're just small. Right. Yeah, forgive me if I'm misremembering this, but I'm, I think they took, like, basically all the native endemic frugivores. Like, that's who they're, that's their five species are. Yeah, I think that's right. There are five bird species, though this one is also smaller than it would normally be because um, I think there have been quite a few native birds that have probably gone extinct, yeah. would be my guess. So yeah. maybe originally you would have had to deal with 10 or 20 species. Sure. But, but regardless... And there are more species likely on the islands, but they've, many of them have likely been introduced. And Yeah, I don't think they things. tested every possible bird-plant combination. I think they only did ones that they had seen in the wild. Like, they had some evidence that these birds eat these fruits in the wild. Oh, yeah. They were looking... It was based on observational studies. They had, like, 50 hours of observation per plant species that they used or something, and they were looking at which bird species were using them, and then they test all the pair, pair comparisons for the species that they observed with the plant species. So they were able to sort of get this full community study because it's an island and it's small. And their, their goal was to sort of figure out, do you actually need to study each individual species interaction? Because if you do, boy, that's a problem if you're trying to do this in bigger communities. Right, exactly. So they're trying to figure out, are there actually differences between the species or, or is it just sort of that any bird that eats the fruit is moving the seeds around and sort of doing the same thing for the plant. Yeah. That's the question. Here. And that's been kind of the assumption in a lot of this kind of research before, is that uh, frugivores in general do this type of thing and, uh, you know, move move the seeds and disperse the seeds and it's useful and great. Yeah, and if you weren't doing a, a manipulative experiment like this, like if you weren't peeling seeds yourself and you weren't capturing wild birds and feeding them fruit, you could study this by just going out and watching your plant your fruit tree or whatever, and just sort of keeping track of which species eat fruits and how frequently. And so if you see, you know, if you're in your backyard and you have a, a bush with some berries on it, and you sort of keep track of how many times you see an American robin eat a berry and then fly off, um, that will give you some sense of how much those species are interacting at least. Right, but it doesn't tell you anything about the quality of that interaction. It doesn't tell you what how effectively that robin has germinated or dispersed the seed. Yeah, we know that, you might know that the, the robin has moved a bunch of seeds. Yeah. But did it move those seeds to places where they then germinate and grow? Right. You don't know that from a sort of just observing the frequency of interactions. Exactly. So that's kind of what this study was focusing on is like, what is actually happening to these seeds with these five species of bird? Yeah. And what they found was uh, actually really interesting. They found that one species that they had previously assumed was one of these mutualists who was uh, very helpfully dispersing seeds actually is destroying all of the seeds <laughs> that it eats. Yeah, it was a, a, a dove of sorts, some sort of white-necked ground dove or something yes, like that. Yes, the white-throated ground dove. White-throated ground dove, there you go. Um, and in fact, these authors had previously used the white-throated ground dove as an example of a mutualist frugivore in previous studies. Yeah, I didn't read that study, but they just mentioned that they'd had some previous study where they assumed that this bird was dispersing seeds yep. successfully. Yep. And other authors have also used this bird in previous studies as assuming that it was dispersing seeds successfessfully. Turns, Turns out, out it's not. <laughs> no, so like they, they fed this bird a bunch of fruit, 
it pooped out the seeds, they planted the seeds, and nothing grew. Right. And they mentioned that even when they looked at the bird's poop, they could see that the seeds had been broken up. They, they didn't find really any whole seeds. The seeds were just sort of crushed and, and disintegrated by this bird's gut. Yeah, so that was definitely a kind of surprising result for them. What did they find about the three seed treatments, the kind of planting the whole fruit versus planting the depulped seed versus planting the seed that had gone through bird, that was from bird poop? Well, as kind of expected based on other studies, for most of these species, the seeds germinate better after they've been through the gut of an animal. So planting the whole fruit with the seeds inside is, does not get as many seeds growing as a bird eating the fruit and pooping the seeds out. So that's the first main result, and that's pretty much expected. The second result is the question about the depulping versus other stuff that happens in the gut, right. what they call scarification, but it's chemical processes and nicking up the seed. And so this one, remember, this is the one they tested by, they've got some seeds that they fed to the birds and some where the, the researchers just peeled the pulp off themselves, but the bird never ate the seed. And in this case, they found that most of the benefit of going through the gut is actually from the depulping. Mm. So, so when you compare to the ones that they planted in the whole fruit, the researchers peeling the pulp off improved germination almost as much as feeding the fruit to a bird did, which means there's nothing particularly, in most cases, there's nothing particularly special or extra that's happening in the bird's gut chemically or something. It's that, a peeling service. It's a peeling service. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The birds are peeling the fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Though there's some variability there. Um, there are some cases where, where the birds did do better than the, the peeled fruit. But on the whole, it was the peeling that mattered, not the other stuff. Yeah. So what about the community aspects of the study? Well, yeah, I mean, that was one of the main goals of the study is, like, how can you generalize and not have to study every species-pair combination? Right. So there's a couple things. So from the plant side, they did find some things that correlate with how much the plants need the gut. Basically, the, the smaller the seed, the more helpful gut passage was in germination. So big seeds germinated about the same whether they went through a bird's gut or whether they were just planted whole in the fruit. But the small seeds really didn't do very well if they just planted those in the fruit. They mm. needed to be depulped or eaten by a bird. Mm. So this means that from if you're looking at plants, maybe you don't have to test every plant. You can just sort of weigh the seeds or measure them in some way. If it's a small seed, you can sort of assume, based on these results, that some sort of animal gut process is important for helping those seeds germinate. And if it's a big seed, animal guts aren't so important for the germination. So then what about characteristics of the birds? Did they find anything specific about what bird characteristics predict success in germination? Basically, aside from that one ground dove that destroyed the seeds, all the other birds had the same effect on the seeds, Right. basically, roughly. So it really doesn't matter which bird eats a seed they all sort of, they all perform the, the same peeling service, right. basically. Which presents an interesting dilemma, because if, if every bird species mostly does the same thing, except for that one species that destroys it, you kind of have to figure out a way to isolate that one species if you care about analyzing the quality of these interactions. Yeah, that's right. They, from what I 
read, they didn't seem to have a good functional trait way to predict which birds were sort of going to be good, normal seed germinators. Right. Uh, or not. Yeah, so the authors did suggest something along the lines of, like, gut anatomy, making some kind of anatomical type grouping to help identify these birds. Yeah, maybe we should come back to that in a second. They, they did sort of make some proposals about how you could do this functional grouping, but yeah. I have my doubts about that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but we should talk about that in a second. Yeah, for sure. So another result they reported is that the number of frugivore partners, the number of species that, that eat your fruit if you're a plant, is correlated with how much the gut effect matters for you as a plant. This is about, do I have to study every plant individually? Do I have to do the test where I peel each plant's seed? Or is there something easy to measure, what we call a functional trait, that I could just sort of measure really quickly, which would tell me whether that depulping is going to matter or whether that gut passage matters? Right. So you could, instead of looking at every individual interaction, you could look at the number of frugivores that use a plant and predict how much that dispersal by the frugivore is going to matter. Yeah, that, that was the result, that, that the number of species that eat the fruit is a predictor of how much the gut effect matters, and it's a positive predictor. So if there's a plant that has lots of different animal species that eat its fruit, that gut passage is probably more important for that plant compared to a plant where only one or two species eat the fruit. In those cases, the gut passage is probably not important or might even be slightly negative. Hmm. Yep. So, yeah, so it's just saying plants that have lots of different frugivore partners probably really depend on those frugivore partners for a gut passage effect. Yeah. Are there other depulping mechanisms uh, aside from, like, rotting fruit, well, <laughs> which the, I guess is kind of a depulping mechanism? I don't know. So there's certainly plenty of other things than birds that can depulp, plenty of other right, animals. Right, and right, that right, was, Again, this is an island, so it's a simple system. But they did, I mean, they did look at a fruit bat that's on this island, which is a mammal. Yeah. Um, but I guess there's, which, like, less than one-tenth of one fruit bat per hectare these days left in, in that area. Yeah, that bat probably does the bee pulping, but they're so rare that they thought this can't yeah. possibly matter for community dynamics. There yeah. aren't enough bats to disperse enough seeds. But if you had more bats or you had some other um, mammal that was eating fruits, then, then that might matter. Sure. But I just wonder, like, so for plants where the, the frugivore digestion is less important for successful germination... Do they have another dispersal mechanism? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Because if, so like on the one hand, we've got uh, seed size. The smaller seeds seem to need that gut effect more. But if you think about plants that don't use an animal to disperse the seeds, like one of the other big mechanisms is wind dispersal. Those yep. tend to be really small seeds. Yep. The wind dispersed ones. So obviously that size predict, you can't just look at the size of the seed and know if the seed needs gut passage. That really only applies to plants that are eaten by animals if the yep. seed is small then it matters. Right. So outside of that like are there other ways to get the pulp off of seeds that don't involve an animal gut passage other than rotting? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, we're way out of my depth here. I know nothing about plants at all basically, no. but I mean off the top of my head I can't think of anything. Um yeah, it'd just be like 
fruit falling off the tree. Right. And... I just wonder, like, if fruit falls off the tree and rotten fruit is on the ground, is that different somehow from planting just ripe fruit in the experiment? Yeah, I don't know. The other thing that I can think of is um, a fruit might fall down and then gets depulped by insects, like ants mm. or something. You could have a fairly big seed the, that it doesn't, the, the pulp doesn't rot off, but rather gets eaten off by insects, but, that, but it never goes through a gut of a big animal. Um, and then there's, like, I know that ants can be important seed dispersers for small seeds, where they basically sort of drag the, the little seed away. I don't know if they would ever do that with a very small fruit, like, like actually move it somewhere and then eat the pulp off. I, hmm. It's possible. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. No, no gut effect in those, those situations. Yeah, obviously. exactly. So anyway, there are at least a couple aspects of the plants that you might be able to measure to know whether animals' gut passage is important for that plant seed dispersal, mainly the size of the seed and the number of different animals that eat the fruit. Both right. those might let you predict how important gut passage is, which means you don't have to test each of those plants. Yeah. You don't have to peel all those seeds yourself and plant them and see how well they germinate. Right. And the other way you can kind of simplify your research here is that because all birds have kind of roughly the same effect and depulping is the most important mechanism that they provide for this germination service, you could do this experiment without captive birds. You could just harvest the fruits, depulp them, and plant them and see what happens. Yeah, that's right. You don't need to actually, it seems, based on this study, that you don't need to actually feed the seeds to a bird since most of what matters is getting that pulp off. You can just forget the birds have a much simpler experiment where you peel that pulp off yourself. Right. And you've at least got most of what's important about the gut passage, which makes it way easier to do these <laughs> sorts of studies. Way easier. But this really brings us back to that problem of that bird that totally destroyed the seeds when it ate it. Right. How do you figure out which birds among your many are going to totally destroy your seeds? Yeah. This idea that, you know, like the authors suggest here that sort of, well, because basically almost all the birds had the same effect, the, gut, the same gut passage effect. Right. That you don't need to study each individual bird. You could just peel those seeds yourself, you know, depulp the seeds yourself. And that's a good sort of easier way to figure out how much gut passage matters. Yeah. The problem with that is that that only works if you have correctly sort of in your mind figured out which birds, when they eat the seeds, are, are depulping and then the seed is going to germinate. Yeah. And they suggest that, you know, the, the hope here is that there would be some sort of functional trait that you could observe about the birds that would let you predict how good they're going to be. The right. size of the bird yeah, or yeah. what family it's in. That was really not the case. Um, they thought all these birds were going to be seed dispersers. They've even treated these birds as seed dispersers in other studies. Yep. When they actually got down to it and measured the individual species, it's not so. Right. There was this one that totally destroyed the seeds. And it's hard to say, I mean, because their community size was so small, they only had five bird species and one out of five destroyed all the seeds. It's hard to say how big or pervasive this problem would be in a larger community. Is it one fifth of all frugivores that would do this? Yeah. 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 And they suggest that, well, maybe you could use something about gut anatomy as a functional predictor. Like maybe this ground up, they had one other dove in the study, which which the name is a fruit dove. I don't know anything about these birds, but I don't either. maybe there's something about these the life history of these birds or the, the structure of their gut 
And you might be able to say, well, okay, all ground doves are going to destroy seeds. I'm just still very, very, very skeptical of that because if that is a good way to know, they would have already known it. They would have been treating this ground dove in their previous studies as something that's likely to destroy seeds. So, right, and what it suggests is that actually you do need to look at the individuals in order to figure out kind of a baseline of what kinds of things are going to destroy seeds. Yeah. Because if we don't even have that, then yeah. how do you go from there? Yeah, I would not move on to any kind of functional grouping based on this result. I think that, unfortunately, in my mind, what the study shows is that you do still have to test each species individually. Yep. Because you can't guess which ones are going to be good at facilitating germination, which not, which is right. a problem from, from the perspective of how you study ecosystems. And especially like these studies are relevant because of things like co-extinction, right? Yeah. Where if you have a, right. if you have a, a seed dispersing bird go extinct, is your plant then going to go extinct because the seeds can't get anywhere? I mean, this happens all, you know, fairly frequently. Right. Or, you know, a lot of people are worried about with climate change, if the environmental conditions become such that one species is, is no longer viable, what happens to the other species in these mutualistic partnerships, all that. It's hot topics right now. Yeah. And, and so if you look at something like this, you say, well, we need to study each species. But I mean, is it realistic or practical to study each species and each species interaction? I mean, no. <laughs> from a from a funding and conservation prioritization perspective, absolutely not. Like if we if what we care about is evaluating these mutualistic partnerships such that we can make conservation recommendations about how to preserve them, then the speed at which we need to be doing that is way faster than we could possibly study every relevant mutualistic pair. Yeah, there's just too many species. There's too many species. You can't study each species on their own, much less their interactions with the other species right. around them. Exactly. Which is why, I mean, that's that's the whole reason they were doing the study, to try to find some way to sort of study the community without having to test every individual species. It doesn't seem like this has a solution <laughs> necessarily. Unfortunately. And, and the problem, I mean, it's, you know, the, the difficulty of having to study every species, it's just... It's it's huge. I mean, for birds, huge. easy enough. We I think at this point, most people would say that we have described or discovered, scientifically discovered, most of the bird species in the world. There's most. a few still out there. I would say most there. is fair. But, but, and, and birds yeah. are speciating, so, you know. But. Sure, like all kinds of things. But by and large, we've got a handle on most of the bird species. Right. For, things, for many other taxonomic groups, that's not the case at all. No. Like ants, we don't have... Well, we don't have any idea how <laughs> no. even how many species there are, much less have identified them. So if there is... There are definitely undescribed plants as well. I undescribed mean, plants, yeah. yeah. So if there are things like ants that are depulping fruits or ants that are seed dispersers, we can't even identify all the species of ants, much less study their dispersal effects individually. Right. And there's no hope that we will ever be able to. I mean, the amount of work that would have to go into it is, is just a astronomical. It's huge. Right. So, so it's like you can't possibly study every species... And yet, if you don't study every species, you will have no idea what the species does. Yeah, that's right. You'll have species like the ground dove in this case, where right. we thought it was a seed disperser. Turns out it's basically a seed predator. Yeah. Very, very different effect on the community. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's encouraging that there are a couple functional traits of the plants that predicted how important the gut passage was. Yes. The size of the seed, the number of species that eat the fruit. Like, that's progress in my mind. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's progress to know that the 
primary mechanism for these plants anyway was the depulping because that kind of facilitates easier experimentation in the future that will let you look at the dependence of particular plant species on frugivores for this dispersal, Yep. which is important and relevant for, you know, conservation purposes. I'm very curious now to do a study where you depulp it by hand, you depulp it by letting a bunch of ants eat the fruit. Like, <laughs> you know, our, our and ants... see if those matter, if the difference between ants and depulping by hand matters. Yeah, could could insects that eat the pulp off basically functionally replace birds that do gut passage? I mean, they, they probably couldn't in how far they move the seeds because the birds can move the seeds farther. But, right. Yeah, I don't know. It'd just be a fun study to do. Yeah. I'm curious. <laughs> Well, if you want to take a look at this article yourself and look at some of the graphs and look at the methods or whatever, the title of the article is Functional Outcomes of Mutualistic Network Interactions, a Community-Scale Study of Frugivore Gut Passage on Germination. It's by Evan Fricke, John Bender, Evan Rehm, and Haldra Rogers. This was published in the Journal of Ecology, uh, 2018. The link to the article is on our Podbean page. I believe the article is open access, so I think you should be able to see it if you click that link. And if you enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, um, if you could head on over to iTunes and just rate the podcast, that would help us out. We are trying to reach as many people as possible, both scientists and people who just might be interested in learning a little more about birds who maybe like to go out and watch birds a fair bit, but don't have the time to read scientific articles. So feel free to share this with your friends um, and rate and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening. The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. I'm at University College Dublin in the Ecological Modeling Group of John Yearsley. If you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie backslash ecomodel.